welcome back. This is Daily Buddhism show number 63, recorded July 7th, 2013. My name is Brian Shell, and I'm your host for the show. You can find the text as well as all links mentioned in this program and all past episodes on the website at www.dailybuddhism.com. If you aren't already signed up for the email newsletter, just go to www.dailybuddhism.com and fix that oversight right now. It's free and easier than ever to sign up. If you enjoy the podcasts and the website and the emails and the tweets and the Facebook posts and everything else, then don't forget to buy the book. My book, The 5-Minute Buddhist, was recently released on Amazon, Nook, iTunes, and yes, even as a paperback. It's essentially the best of the daily Buddhism. You can get it in pretty much any format you want. Just go to dailybuddhism.com book and follow the links. If you've already picked up a copy, please go back to Amazon or Barnes & Noble or wherever website and leave a review on that site. Thanks. Also, if you enjoy this free podcast, head on over to the iTunes store and leave a review for the show. I'd appreciate your support there, too. Okay, so let's get on with this week's show. Uh, also note, I'm getting the podcast caught up from way, way back. The following posts never made it into the, la- the last podcast in 2009, so these are topics from that time period. Over the coming weeks, I will be recording podcasts from these retro episodes until we get all caught up. All these topics are still on the website to read. You can read them, comment on them, read other readers' comments, and there's plenty of new stuff as well. There's no reason whatsoever you can't leave your comments on these topics, even though they're a little bit older topics. Okay, here we go. Our first topic for this episode is a koan called The Stingy Artist. Gessen was an artist monk. Before he would start a drawing or painting, he always insisted upon being paid in advance, and his fees were high. He was known as The Stingy Artist. A geisha once gave him a commission for a painting. How much can you pay? inquired Gessen. Whatever you charge, replied the girl, but I want you to do the work in front of me. So on a certain day, Gessen was called by the geisha. She was holding a feast for her patron. Gessen, with fine brushwork, did the painting. When it was completed, he asked the highest sum of his time. He received his pay. Then the geisha turned to her patron, saying, All this artist wants is money. His paintings are fine, but his mind is dirty. Money has caused it to become muddy. Drawn by such a filthy mind, his work is not fit to exhibit. It's just about good enough for one of my petticoats. Removing her skirt, she then asked Gessen to do another picture on the back of her petticoat. How much will you pay? asked Gessen. Oh, any amount, answered the girl. Gessen named a fancy price, painted the picture in the manner requested, and went away. It was learned later that Gessen had these reasons for desiring money. First, a ravaging famine often visited his province. The rich would not help the poor, so Gessen had a secret warehouse, unknown to anyone, which he kept filled with grain, prepared for those emergencies. From his village to the national shrine, the road was in very poor condition, and many travelers suffered while traversing it. He desired to build a better road. 
His teacher had passed away without realizing his wish to build a temple, and Gesson wished to complete this temple for him. After Gesson had accomplished his three wishes, he threw away his brushes and artist materials, and retiring to the mountains, never painted again. Next up, we have a reader letter. This one's called Ambition. A reader writes in and asks, How do I let go of the constant striving for a higher-paying job with more power and a title? The whole idea of making more money in order to buy more things is a way of thinking that's hard to break free from. I'm a fifth-grade teacher, and I love teaching. I'm happiest when I'm in the classroom. I recently finished a degree in leadership that would make me qualified to become a principal. I did not do this out of desire for the job, but rather as a way to compete with other teachers that talked about wanting to be a principal. It was also a convenient way to attract attention to myself. I didn't enjoy one moment of the degree or the internship hours. Yet even though I'm aware of all this, I feel a sense of duty to continue to seek that powerful, higher-paying job. This whole situation is causing a great deal of stress that I cannot seem to meditate myself out of. And my response to that is, I can relate. I'll probably run into the same thing myself within a few years, maybe sooner. I've always been way too competitive. You state several things that might be the cause of this, but I think you should be able to narrow it down to just one. It's important to think on this and see if you can narrow down your reasons for this behavior. Are you simply competitive? Are you greedy, wanting more and more money? If so, teaching probably isn't the best career for you, if that's the case. Or are you doing this out of a need for self-promotion, attracting attention to yourself? None of these ideas make you either unique or a bad person. We're all raised with the idea of becoming a wealthy, successful person in a position of power. It's not that hard to do it if you apply yourself and work hard. The problem comes when you get to that place by doing something you don't enjoy doing, or cause yourself suffering by grasping too hard for more and more. Buddhists can have ambitions. Buddhists need money, too. Buddhists like recognition as much as the next guy. The problem arises when these things become goals, not tools. You need to think or meditate on this and figure out why you're doing it. If you love the classroom, you'll probably be miserable in in an administrative position. It's a whole different world. If you can find a good reason to become a principal, then go for it. If you simply do it because of ambition, greed, or a need for attention, you're going to resent giving up the job you love. Your instincts already tell you that there's something wrong with your desire for this promotion. You already know that it's not going to be what you want. You just need to figure out what the root cause is and work on that problem before your ambition or greed drives you to something you don't like. Next topic is one called Aging and Suffering. Reader writes in, Brian, I was asked to join Facebook by a friend. I really didn't want to do it, but I did. Now I wish I never had. I found lost friends, but at a huge price. The first was a big strapping Marine who was one of the first kickboxers in the USA. He's now relegated to a wheelchair with Parkinson's disease. The second was my sparring partner. He now has Lou Gehrig's disease. The third was one of my martial arts instructors who now has cancer. The fourth was our main instructor who has grown old and feeble. I understand impermanence and I understand attachment, but this just plain scares the hell out of me. As a Buddhist, I know what I'm supposed to think, but in reality, it's not working. 
Okay, and my response to that was, we all age and we all die. And most importantly, we all know it's coming. But when we're confronted with too much of it all at once, as you were, it really leaves an impact. Everything in life changes. Everything. The bit of poetry last week by Lee Bai exemplified the contact concept. In the comment section below that post, a reader mentioned that given enough time, even the mountain itself would be gone. And that's an excellent point. If even the mountains wear down and die, ask any geologist, they really do, then why should even the strongest of humanity, such as your kickboxer friend, be any different? Buddha himself said that change leads to suffering. And in the case of your friends, that's clearly true. Of course, as you say, you already know all of this. It's applying these ideas to your life that's the hard part. The only words of advice that I have that might help is to repeat again that all things do change. The same thing that terrifies you and causes your suffering right now can also be the solution to the problem. Your friend's suffering is temporary as well. And yes, I mean death. In your case, your friends aren't suddenly dying. They're suffering lingering, debilitating diseases. The worst of the worst. Most people don't really fear death itself. But I think most of us fear a long, drawn-out process of dying. Even giving up your own attachments would not mean giving up compassion for those suffering. None of us, not even Buddha himself, really knows what comes after death. Yet if you think about it, one thing we do know is that the suffering resulting from aging will stop. The survivors, such as yourself, will move on and continue with life as long as it lasts. Well, your friends will move on to whatever comes after that, if anything. Does this solve your problem? No, of course not. There's no solution for that. But keeping all this in mind may help a bit, and that's all we can do. And next up, we have a very short little posting called Poetic Impermanence. Just a few words can hold a deep meaning. This is a short poem attributed to Li Bai, an 8th century Chinese poet, and it expresses the Buddhist idea of impermanence perfectly. Just a reminder, Zazen is a form of meditation where one just sits silently. And the title of this is Zazen on Qingting Mountain. The birds have vanished down the sky. Now the last cloud drains away. We sit together, the mountain and me, until only the mountain remains. Like I said, very short. And next up, we have another letter from another reader. Question. Can you share some tips for being mindful for new practitioners? Also, do you have any tips for being motivated to meditate for new practitioners? I read the post about being mindful at work the other day, and this is something I would like to do, but it's a daunting task because my job involves being responsible for up to 160 rowdy teenagers. I also wear a lot of hats at my job, so my mind is always bouncing around and it's hard to meditate. I don't think I have yet managed to do it. I was thinking some sort of item or items around the house or on my person might serve as a reminder to do both of these things. I saw a Buddha candle holder the other day that made me think of this, and I was also considering a small pendant or bracelet. However, I tend to side with you on the issue of idolatry and shrines, etc. Your perspectives on these issues are most appreciated. Okay, and my response to that... 
As you mentioned, we've discussed idols and shrines in the past. I believe that they aren't necessary and tend to cause unnecessary attachment. That being said, the main point of having a statue or shrine is that they do help with mindfulness. If you have a Buddha statue where you can see him, often that will help with mindfulness, at least in theory. You can probably learn to tune him out if you ignore him too much. Other forms of Buddhist artwork and objects will have a similar benefit. You don't need these objects for religious reasons, but they certainly won't hurt in building your mindfulness. Out of sight, out of mind works in the opposite direction, too. I have only one tip to help new practitioners to meditate more often, and it's a bit obvious. Set a specific time and do it every day. Force yourself to do it if you have to, but get in the habit of doing it regularly, just like any other physical exercise. Once it becomes a regular habit, you can start getting flexible with your timing, but you have to get to the place where you want to do it and look forward to it. It's not meant to be unpleasant or something you put off or with which you procrastinate. Everyone has their own ideas about what is or isn't a good tip for mindfulness. I turned the question loose on Twitter and got the following responses from various people. One of them says, take one minute every hour to sit and breathe. It'll have amazing effects on overall focus and mindfulness. Sound like a good plan if you can remember to do it. Someone else says, I actually did a workshop with the Healing from the Core Foundation. It was entitled Developing Therapeutic Presence. It was excellent. Probably could do a Google on that one. Uh, Work tip. If you're busy, tell the interrupters you'll get back to them and set a time at work. And the final tip for mindfulness at work is give up multitasking and focus on single tasks intently. Okay, they all sound pretty good to me. And that's all I have for you this week. Just remember, the Daily Buddhism runs primarily from your donations, and it's easy to help out. Just go to www.dailybuddhism.com donate and click on one of the options there. You can donate as little as a dollar or as much as you want. Keep in mind that Daily Buddhism daily email newsletter is completely free. All you need to do is go to the site and sign up. And most importantly, if you have a question on any Buddhism-related topic, send in your questions by email to dailybuddhism at gmail.com. Also look for me on Twitter at at Brian Shell. You can check the show notes for how to spell that. And in the meantime, I'll see you next week.